Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Hello, Internet. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Whitkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a podcast where we give our completely unnecessary professional opinions on the lives, minds, and relationships of all your favorite movies. Hey, J.D., will there be learning? Oh, I think so. Will there be science? Girl, yes. Will there be delightfully informal conceptualizations about the minds of non-real people from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? I mean, if you insist. <laughs> Welcome back, Joe. Welcome. Yeah. How you doing? Good. I am in Austin right now. Austin, Texas. Yep. I'm checking out the donut scene here. That's the capital. <laughs> it is. The donut scene. Yeah. Tell me all about it. I, this is like a weird hobby I have where I like to try all these different donut places and then I have like a whole process, scientific method to like assess them and rate them and compare them. <laughs> have we fully discussed that I also have a deep love of donuts and no. I'm actually in my hometown of Holly, Michigan is this little donut shop called the, the Holly Donut Shop. And I think they're the best donuts in the whole world. Oh, and it was the kind of God. thing where, like, every week, you like, every Sunday before church, our dad would go out and, like, get donuts. And so I have a deep passion for donuts as well. I oh. don't use the scientific method, as I've seen. <laughs> I have seen some of your work on it. We didn't just meet just now. Yeah. But uh, I love that. Yeah, it's, like, one of my favorite things to do. I'm also really sad that we didn't do that for you in L.A., which is, like, famous for donuts. Is it? So L.A. has this, like, and Southern California in general has this really incredible history of um, Cambodian-owned donut shops. Oh. And so they're all, like, mom-and-pop shops, and they're, it's this really cool, look up, like, Southern California Cambodian donut shops. Okay. And you'll find out about the sort of, like, Cambodian refugees coming over here and being sponsored by other Cambodian refugees by starting a donut shop. It's a really interesting sort of history of the like Cambodian diaspora. Oh, I love that. Um, and I just read a really interesting book called After Parties um, by Anthony So. Anthony So. It's called After Parties. Mm -hmm. The author's first name is Anthony. And it's this queer author who wrote a bunch of essays about being a Cambodian refugee. And one of them, the, the first one I think, takes place in a donut shop. Amazing. Yeah, that, we'll have to do that the next time I'm there. It's so fun. Yeah. What's your favorite donut? Um, so my favorite donut shop is the Salty Donut, or the Salty. That was in Miami, actually. I don't know if it was a shop yet when you were there. I don't know. Um, but they have, I don't like think five, so. they have five shops now, and they opened one in Austin. And so I was really excited to try it. Um, so that I got like four donuts yesterday from there, and one was horchata. Oh, um, yeah. One was prickly pear margarita. Mm -hmm. um, there was an affogato one. Yeah. And then we got like a chocolate sheet cake 
donut, mm-hmm. one of your more standard donuts. But I love mm-hmm. the like bougie, <laughs> over like the top kind of decorated and interesting flavors and stuff. Yeah, a Dominique Ansel style <laughs> yeah. kind exactly. of moment. I'm a classic. I love an apple fritter or like a maple bar. Mm. Uh, or just like a sour cream glaze moment, just like a regular degular donut. A lot of the people I talk to like say that and I'm like, yeah, I'm opposite. I should be trying the like traditional glaze as kind of a a control group. I think it is kind of a good like (laughs) measure. Yeah. Um, Um, But I just could never get myself to order it because it's so boring. No, it's so good. It's so classic. My friend Sveta has actually a very similar thing with croissants, where she has her own metric of just plain butter croissants. And she always gets a plain butter croissant and reviews them sometimes on her Instagram. Shout out to Sveta. Um, And she always eats them at room temperature because she's like, you can't heat it up and then have like a fair assessment. Of course it's good if you heat it up. It's bread. Yeah, and butter. It will be good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it has to be consumed at room temperature. So Interesting. Love that. Love yeah. carbs. <laughs> love Big carbs. Big fan. Love a good carb. You know what's important for brain functioning? Carbohydrates. Carbs. Absolutely. You need glucose. That's why I eat a ton of candy whenever I'm studying. Great idea. <laughs> good idea. She is not mentioning that she's in Austin for major dental surgery. <laughs> That's later. That's future That's later. Problem. Who needs teeth <laughs> when you can have don- donuts are very soft, famously soft. You don't That's need true. teeth That's with true. donuts. Well, should we hop into yeah, this let's do movie? This. So yes. I have taken a hard left. <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous. I, I'm nervous. I think you're going to be so mad at me. I think you will be furious, but I'm so excited. I've never seen this film. Okay. Do you think uh, I have? I don't know. Okay. I've never met you. Right. We don't know each other in real life. We don't know each other. Uh, I think you probably have, just because I think most people have. I'm just, you know, once again, I'm not most people, you know? So special. Yeah. I'm so special. So this film uh, is from the year 2001. Okay. You love that that time. (laughs) Yes, I do. I do love that time. Uh, The tagline is, if you have what it takes... You can have it all. All is in all caps, by the way. Oh, okay. 2001. Uh, can I guess, like, aspects of it? Mm-hmm. Like, is it a, a female protagonist? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Very not. Okay. I know, is that's it... why it's a hard left. You would think everything I want to watch <laughs> is like, true. let's get movies featuring like a strong female lead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, yeah. Where women kill their husbands. <laughs> like, that's what I always want to watch. Totally. Same. Um, is it a romantic comedy? No. Is it a drama? No. Is it horror? No. Is it action? Yeah. Okay. Action? I actually gave you some hints earlier on when I was explaining the movie. What what did I say you were going to feel about this movie? Mad. Nope. What did you say? I thought you said I was going to be mad at you. Madder than mad. I What's what's madder than mad? Angry. <laughs> Even angrier than angry. 
I said, we're going to take... Fast and the Furious? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be taking a hard left, Joe. That is. We're doing... You know what? We're going to do donuts. We're going to... cars. <laughs> it all comes... Full circle, like a donut. 100% of our listeners have stopped listening <laughs> at these nightmare jokes that we are making. Uh, so if you're still here, um, I don't know, Venmo request me and I'll pay you. Um, yeah, wow. so I, I've never seen this movie. Have you seen this movie? Yes, I have because of Vin Diesel's biceps. Not my cup of tea, but my friends in high school, big fans. Uh, we Big used fans. to pause on the scene. There's one scene where he like puts his arms out and you can just like really see his arms and he's like always in these, you know, white tank tops. Um, right, right. And this was, I don't know. Yeah. Cause we were 13. So that's like what you do <laughs> when you're 13. Yeah. So that's my memories of the movie. I don't remember anything about the plot. Yeah. So, uh, I have never seen it. I actually started watching it this morning because I was like, I need to know if there's enough here. Right. And then I reached out to my friend Amalia, who mm-hmm. is a very smart person mm-hmm. and is also a diehard Fast and the Furious fan. Okay. And I was like, Amalia, tell me there's something here. And she was like, JD, there is so much in here. We're, we're, we're going to have a lot of like hyper-masculine dynamics. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a lot of... Uh, the ways it, the a lot of the ways that men treat women in two thousand one in films, okay. which actually, and we'll go into a little bit after the break. Like, there's actually a really interesting history about these movies and the way that they treat women and how that has shifted across nine movies in mm. a very intentional way. So, I'm excited yeah. to see where it goes. I, I'm excited I like that to we're finish doing it. something different. Um, yeah, I don't like I mean, that so I have far, to watch this movie. It's only an hour and 40 minutes. Okay. <laughs> and for those of you listening, if you haven't seen this movie, we'll give you a little plot synopsis at the beginning. Yeah, let's just do that. Just in case. Let's do that. Just in case. Uh, but um, we've done now, we started with a rom-com, then we did a musical, then mm-hmm. we did a romance, mm-hmm. then we did uh, an animated, and now yep. we're doing an action. You know what? It's great. So we're, we're shaking it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, and hopefully these this podcast is going to be somewhat archival, right? Where as we have more and more and more and new people are finding it, people can come and pop up and listen to the ones they want to listen to yeah, and yeah. see what it is. So I'm excited I to add too. this I've, to our I've repertoire. Come <laughs> I've come around. <laughs> are you madder than mad? I'm furious. <laughs> well, on that note. On that note. We'll see you right after this break. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, we are back, 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 back. (laughs) How did you like the film? You mean like the mental breakdown I had right before we started recording? (laughs) Because I hate this. Um, I mean, okay. I haven't seen this movie like since 2002, probably. Um, It's not a good movie. I know it sparked, <laughs> like, you know, this huge franchise, and it's really evolved over time, and, you know, its messaging has possibly changed. But, like, just objectively, it's not, like, a well-made, constructed movie. What are your thoughts on that? 
Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think I agree. <laughs> like, so let's, let's walk like everybody a... through the plot of this film so you don't sure. have to see it. So uh, Paul Walker, face of an angel, uh, yes. comes in uh, and is trying to make it into this world of underground street racing that is led by Vin Diesel and then some other groups of different racial archetypes uh, competitively in which in this group, uh, fast cars and easy women are the currency of the realm. I love hearing you say that. Yeah. <laughs> <It sounds> supernatural. <laughs> yeah, you know me. That's why. That's why I have seen this movie zero so times, times before before this podcast. Um, and so you quickly discover that Paul Walker is actually an undercover cop trying to <gasps> understand this. Uh, ring of thefts, thieving. Which I had trouble following. I mean, that's totally. how the movie opened, right? There the was movie some opened kind of... with someone secretly stealing Something? things by, <laughs> by also st- stopping somebody from stealing stereo or uh, stealing stereos from a moving semi truck. Like, I don't know who came up with that plan, but I bet there was an easier time to steal those stereos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it took me the entire movie, but essentially, yeah, they are, like, what is it called when they, like, they did that in, like, the Wild West yes. or whatever? Like they, yeah, the, the, what is it, the, the wagon train, stagecoach robberies, those yes, kinds yes, of Yes, yes, exactly. So, like, that, except with, like, truckers and small Honda Civics, I but, guess. But and also, like, these are stereos. Like, if I'm a semi-truck driver... Panasonic a, stereos. Panasonic stereos. If I'm a semi-truck driver of a truck full of stereos... First of all, an extinct animal, if they didn't know it at the time. <laughs> First of all, I, and someone tries to rob me. I am pulling that truck over, getting out and being like, take the stereos. <laughs> but in all of these instances, these truck drivers fight for their lives. <laughs> fight for these stereos to get out to Rancho Cucamonga or wherever they be, they're being driven. Yeah. I mean, you know... I- I don't I don't know enough about trucker culture to speak on their behalf, but I think one of the like one of the the thing the concerns that the police had, right? So that this is how it opens of some kind of yeah, highway robbery and the police are concerned because the truckers are like taking matters into their own hands and they're like getting armed and so this is escalating in some way that the FBI is concerned about and you know, so that's where that's that I put all of those pieces together and then we're trying to figure out who it is, but we know that it's Dom or do we not? Was that we a don't. reveal? It's that a, was reveal. a reveal. Because okay. we think it's the evil Asian gang. Right. Uh and so there's sort of these two competing things going on. Where there's the racing and then there's the thiefing, supposedly. Right. And so uh Paul Walker unbeknownst to him, of course, immediately falls in love with Vin Diesel's sister, Jordana Brewster, who is very pretty. She is beautiful. And is of the streets because he can't be a cop or whatever, and beats out uh, the previous man who was courting her, Vince, who's, of course, just like some sort of... I mean, the funny thing about this guy, Vince is he's this, like, beta male attempt, right? He's trying to mm-hmm, come in mm-hmm. who's supposed to be hyper-masculine. He makes fun of Paul Walker for, like, doing dishes, but it, the whole time is wearing just, like, a mesh tank top. Like, I was like, yeah. this is euphoria. Like, what is this outfit? <laughs> this outfit is, like, rave culture. It is. 
Yeah, like I was like, what? That's actually like a very chic sort of net tank top, Vince. Yeah, super um, But chic. anyways, so to finish the plot out, if you aren't lost already, <laughs> uh, Paul Walker is working very hard to prove that it's this Asian gang or this Mexican street gang that are stealing things. But the FBI keeps saying, no, it's Vin Diesel's gang. And he's like, mm. it's not. And then come to find out, it is. It Vin is. Diesel's gang. And there's this really intense scene where they're trying to rob a semi-truck while Paul Walker is trying to catch up to them to get them to stop trying to rob a semi-truck because it's a sting. It's a it's an FBI agent driving the truck. Is it? I think so. I thought it was, like, because the truckers are now arming themselves, so they were, like, that's why he had the shock. Like, I don't know. Oh, he said something when he was getting out of the truck. When he, the first time he goes in, he goes, it's the feds. Oh, really? So I think it was a sting. I think that's why Paul Walker knew, don't go, don't do this job. Yeah, but wouldn't they have, like, 40 other cars? Yeah, or like, yeah, like have other people being backup as this entire thing is unfolding. I don't know. Uh, Listen. Debatable. I think it's, let's argue that point. And it stands, it stands as evidence that both of us watched this film and don't actually know what happened. Yeah. In this scene. Uh, But, but yeah, so a lot of things go wrong. Uh, This guy gets shot and Paul Walker tells Vin Diesel he's a cop when he calls the police uh, to get a medevac to Uh, help this guy Vince. Acting at its finest, Vin Diesel, all of his face. All of his face, Paul Walker making a locked eye contact, talking and having given this away. Uh, Cut to yet another street chase where in the end, uh, Paul Walker and Vin Diesel end up, um, you know, wrecking one of the cars. Paul Walker gives Vin Diesel his car. And right. Vin Diesel drives off. And there is actually, I don't know if you saw it, there's a cut scene in the credits. I did. You saw it! <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, like, get it. Was it just like, oh, he's okay? He's in Mexico? Yeah, yeah that I was felt like, it. I was like, oh, is this setting up the second one? But then I looked at the synopsis of the second one, and I'm like, nope. Was the second one Tokyo Drift? Or was the second no, was one Too Fast, one. Too Furious? Uh, I think the second one was in Miami, and it was like Tyrese comes in. Yeah, I think it, that's Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, I thought that was like a rebrand in the 2000s. Hold on. I gotta look this up. Continue. <laughs> so, suffice it to say, this movie is unanimously, uh, two out of two podcast hosts on Real Psych agree that this is not a good movie. However... No, it is. Sorry, the second one is too fast to be. <laughs> okay. I'm so invested. You're so invested, yeah. So, so, both of us hated this movie. Both of us thought this movie was not good. And yet, if you look at the reviews of this movie at the time, it's actually pretty well reviewed. It's actually pretty I mean, well yeah, received. P- people love this movie. So, yeah. So, I kind of chose to focus my research not even on th- there's so little character development in the film that I was like I actually don't know there's not a lot of psychology absolutely and I could not like and there's not and they don't even make sense right no. so there's like things you you can't even string together the tiny tidbits of information they give you into any kind of like coherent personality correct yeah I would agree 
Um, I would agree. I think the the thing that I sort of chose to look at then was like, why why totally. do people like this? Yeah. What is going on? What was going on in America? <laughs> <laughs> what what has always been going on in America? Because this movie, yeah. right? The shoot 'em up, pow pow. I mean, yes, this the Fast and the Furious has become the archetype of the genre, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a new genre. Um, this movie right. even came in right after uh, Grand Theft Auto, the movie. Right. Which, of course, started as a video game and then became a film. Uh, and mm-hmm. this was actually a lot of people found to be a much better iteration of what, like, a Grand Theft Auto was. Also, Gone in 60 Seconds mm-hmm. came out right around this time um, and was, I think, much uh, better received, but did not become, like, a, God, I think there's, like, 10 movies in this 10 or 11 so Fast many, and the Furious yeah. movies. Yeah, there's um, so Some of them within the same sort of series and within the same connected theme of the franchise. And some, like, Tokyo Drift is an entirely separate. It's like Step Up 2, colon, The Streets, where it's right. not We should actually, do that movie. We, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, maybe that'll be the theme of February, colon, The Streets. <laughs> Um, although, actually, that's kind of been our theme. We've done West Side Story, mm-hmm. and now we've done the... I mean, we've got two movies that are about... We've got lots of streets. Hard gang life in the streets. That's true. Where everybody looks like a model. I, I mean, yeah, that I think a lot of the reviews I was reading about this movie was just like, and everyone is so attractive. But, like... <laughs> they are. You know. Yeah, no, they are. They are. Um, yeah, so, within this, I, I in my hunt to figure out why... Uh, Do people like this? I found something that is like old school psychology that is kind of a theory that lays onto this, which is um, Carl Jung, who's one of the the fathers of psychology. Just Jung is essentially, for those listening, Jung is the name that would come right after Freud in terms of who are the, the people that created all of these things. And Jung is one of the first people that started identifying personality types. And so Mm -hmm. Jung identified all these different personality types, which then led to something called the Myers-Briggs. So if y'all are familiar with like, oh, I'm an ENTJ, um, or whatever you're for, you know, letters. ENTJ. I think so. I'm Um, an INTJ. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, I always find when those, uh, they started doing all those grids a few years ago, it was like, where it was like the Myers-Briggs on Harry Potter, the Myers-Briggs on whatever different, like the X-Men or whatever. I never really felt like when I would read, like, because the the Myers-Briggs does have archetypes. They each have a different personality, like, profile. Yeah. Um, And I never felt like mine was was it. And then I was, like, looking at it, and I think my uh, ENTJ, I think I get, like, Ginny Weasley for Harry Potter, (laughs) and I'm like, actually... That kind of tracks for me. <laughs> <laughs> so those the, maybe there's something there. But anyways, so the one of the sort of archetypes of personality is what's called a type T personality. And the T is for thrill-seeking. And so within this research, thrill-seekers are um, more likely to be creative. They're more likely to be obviously seeking uh, things that will spike their adrenaline. They not only find excitement in it, they find uh, discomfort without it. So having a life that does not include like mountain climbing, um, gambling, 
uh, you know, different kinds of things like that, it feels really untenable, unlivable. And what's really interesting is uh, in the 80s, uh, another theorist came up with this idea that the, that the United States itself is actually a type T nation. This is a scientist called Farley um, that, that essentially named that up to 30% of people in the United States could fit this type T personality. So is this the same thing as like risk taking versus risk averse? Yeah. Well, I think it's a more, so the way that, um, the way that it's explained is it's sort of a combination of, um, it's a combination of all these different types, but in a way where it's the primarily perceiving, uh, and feeling. Uh, so risk averse is going to, you know, those, the way that you're um, thinking versus feeling and judging versus perceiving are um, the things. So the the type T is really not looking at introverted or extroverted, right? You could be right. either of those. And sensing uh, versus, oh no, excuse me, In- sensing intuition. versus intuitive, thinking yeah. versus feeling, judging versus perceiving. And I believe it's actually, uh, I misspoke, sensing versus intuitive. It's an intuitive uh, and a perceptive. Which is okay. kind of, so those two things together, which in a way is its own kind of like, I go on instinct. I go on, I, I, right. I, I go right. on sort of the unseen. Instinct on how you perceive things. On how, how you how perceive you things. Yeah. And that is what drives people. And so as a nation, we prioritize uh, this type T personality, which if you think about it, we're an individualistic culture, right? Who do we, you know, idolize most in this country? Celebrities, uh, actors, uh, athletes, reality TV stars who are, again, typically happy to jump in the ring and do something outrageous, and then billionaires who yeah. are very often thrill-seeking, right? There is high risk, high reward, right? So a lot of times what we're seeing in the United States, this culture is really rewarding this thrill-seeking yeah. behavior. Well, it's activating those dopamine centers, the uh-huh. reward circuitry of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I Okay, so I totally agree with all of that. Um, I don't know if you noticed in the movie, like uh, in the end credits, when it, it was just like one line and it said, uh, like, this movie was based on a magazine article by Ken Lee. And so no. I was like, okay, need to know more about that. It was like a 1998 <laughs> Vibe article about drag race culture. And so I was not reading RuPaul's that. Not drag race. <laughs> yeah, separate. Yeah, not like that. Um, I wish. I know, uh, but yeah, I so, would watch nine movies about RuPaul's drag race. Absolutely. Anyway, so there's a quote from, uh, you know, uh, one of the people that this uh, Kenley interviewed um, saying, the excitement of going fast is like nothing else. Another group gets excitement from doing drugs or whatever. Speed excites us, which maps on to this kind of thrill-seeking yeah. like behavior. I also was thinking about thrill-seeking or being like risk-taking or these kind of like high uh, like uh, energy kind of activities in, uh, interplaying with, with group cohesion. So this is like a bonding experience, right? Does it help like actually bond groups together and there is some evidence to suggest that uh groups higher in risk taking are also highest in cohesion and so it can actually be something that that bonds groups together um there's you know some 
some evidence for, some evidence against, but I thought that that was interesting too. I mean, it's shared experience, right? Like yeah. that can be a bonding kind of. Totally. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're, it's a shared experience with highly expressed and experienced levels of emotion too. So those high levels so, of emotion help to sort of, that, that serves as the glue. Yeah, because you're encoding that, your memory is encoding that, you know, uh, much more strongly if you have a memory or some kind of experience that's tied to emotion. Which, I mean, it fits with this, the the sort of theme that is not really present in the first film, but as a person, again, I've never seen any of these films except now this one. Yeah. Uh, the theme that is sort of outwardly presented as the Fast and the Furious is that they're a family, right? That they are yes. not just friends. Right. They are family. And yep. Ohana means family. And fa- <laughs> wait, <laughs> sorry, wrong film. Wrong uh, so film. they're, um, what, you know, what they're looking at is this, the, this thrill seeking leads to uh, a closeness that is beyond what others are able to experience and there is uh there's a couple of articles but um there's one article in fatherly uh, (laughs) that's that's like there's a you know psychology of of fast and the furious and the title of the article is the fast and the furious and the clinical psychologist um so he's talking but he he's talking about uh the role of family or like the maybe the 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 best character in the movie is is the family right and yeah. how that um is actually something that uh is really resonates with the audience because they they kind of uh looked at how family is portrayed in this movie right chosen family people you protect um people you 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 choose to uh entrust in your kind of inner circle and also kind of the changing definitions of what a nuclear family is. Right. And how those kind of correspond with each other uh, to kind of, I don't know, maybe this perfect storm of like Americans who are going to see this movie or people in the world who are going to see this movie who are considering alternative definitions of what family is, seeing an alternative definition of what yeah. family is and really connecting with that. Yeah, I love that, you know, when you say nuclear family, my my mind was like, in Fast and the Furious 10, this family goes nuclear. (laughs) (laughs) Just waiting for it. Yeah. It's like nuclear reactors instead of NAS. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I think you're, you're right. It's speaking to this thing that people find so exciting, so inspiring, um, so engaging I mean, yeah. and, and the ways in which this has entered the zeitgeist, right? I, I think uh, I may be talking out of my arse here, but I think the term ride or die is from a Fast and the Furious movie. Really? I'm, I think so. I Googled this once because somebody on The Bachelor was like, I'm looking for my ride or die. Yeah. And I was like, what does that even mean? Or any other dating reality show. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the ways in which this has entered the zeitgeist is massive. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious, and I don't have research on this, but I think on the flip side of what we're saying, though, it, you know, you and I feel really alienated by this franchise. We feel we are unseen. not the target audience. We are not the target audience, and and it's interesting because we named these are the biggest movies. That I mean, it's again other than Marvel is the biggest film series billions that's ever existed. Billions and billions of dollars. Billions yeah. and billions of dollars. Millions and millions and millions, you know, hundreds of millions of people have seen these films. Yeah. If not a billion, right? Yeah. 
And I didn't see me in this movie at all. I don't yeah. feel welcome in that family. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot to say about how women are portrayed in this yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's So there's actually a, some kind of drama in the past few years. Um, Michelle Rodriguez, who plays Letty, mm-hmm. getting kind of upset about how women are portrayed in the movie and really pushing for better representation and better storylines. Um, there's a quote from her from Entertainment Weekly where she says, um, I've been making movies with Georgiana Brewster, who plays the sister of Dom Toretto for 16 years, and I can count on one hand how many lines I've had to her. I think that's pathetic and, you know, lack of creativity, which is crazy because I was like, you know, the first thing I feel like everyone who knows a tiny bit about film is like, oh, the Bechdel test, right? Right. Which is like this theory that's, uh, you know, by Alison Bechdel, who's a a graphic uh, novelist, but basically... And playwright, yes. And it's a test that asks whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. Um, and that there's sometimes a requirement that the two women have to have names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I thought that was, I, like, that was the first thing that came into my mind because that's just so well known in, in terms of uh, thinking about how women are represented in movies. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay, not only were there two women, like, Possibly, you know, they they weren't talking about anything other than men. They weren't talking to each other at all. Right. So, like, what test is that? <laughs> what test does that fail? I mean, this movie is really rough in its treatment of women and its treatment of, I mean, even seeing washing the dishes as, like, a sign of, like, weakness or femininity is, like... I mean, yeah, it's, like... <laughs> so gross. Right. Um, the machismo... Fun fact, actually, about the Bechtel test that's my favorite... Uh, anecdote about the Bechdel test mm-hmm. is that uh, uh, Alison Bechdel's most famous work is a graphic novel called Fun Home mm-hmm. and it was created into oh a, really a, yeah and so oh. and then they made that into a musical right and the musical Fun Home does not pass the Bechdel test <laughs> really oh my god yes. that's so funny to be fair the the musical Fun Home is about the relationship between a queer daughter and a father who was uh, closeted. And mm. it's about that. And so the, the their relationship between, um, and they this character of Allison is young, uh, medium, and adult Allison, I think are the, the character names. Uh, it's all about the, those two people. So even in a scene where it's between Allison and her mother or Allison and her girlfriend, it's always about the dad. Yeah. So it it's a movie that, or it's a film, or a play, excuse me, that fails the Bechdel test appropriately and that like sure but it is kind of funny that it is actually uh not it doesn't pass that is really i mean there's also (laughs) like just so many other tests that have been proposed and said you know no one should be using the bechdel test alone to kind of determine whether a movie is like uh representing women well or not because there's so many other right uh, and and i think fun home does represent women beautifully absolutely yeah yeah exactly yeah uh it's just funny when it's a little ironic. I mean, yeah, it's funny. Uh, anyways, so treatment of women is wild. I mean, treatment of, of, uh, and again, I think that one of the primary reasons you and I feel alienated is like, as like a queer person, as a woman, like we watch this and we're like, you all don't see me, value me, welcome me in this space. Um, 
The other was the, the racial dynamics of this film are so strange. It's a very post-1980s, like, quote, we are not racist film where, like, it's it, race is somewhat, like, invisible to the leads. But if you're not in the leads group, right, they have a very, like, multicultural group in their family. Look at us. Mm-hmm. We're all family of different races. Uh, but the other gangs are very racial typical. Weirdly, the big drag race that they're going to in the desert is called Race Wars. I know. I thought that was (laughs) hilarious. Uh, I was like, they knew what they were doing. I mean, it's, it's wild. Uh, they, these archetypes of these like different gangs is so strange. I mean, so obviously I think the characteristics that they're given and the way that they're portrayed are, is, you know, problematic, but I think I was thinking about that in terms of how we were thinking about it in West Side Story and, you know, how people um, band together, especially when they are, you know, subjected to a lack of safety in any other aspect Mm -hmm. and they're looking for shared characteristics and how, you know, gangs kind of form. Um, And so I don't think the fact that there are different gangs that are uh, having shared characteristics is like necessarily problematic i think we've we've kind of talked about the psychology of that and how that can make sense um in terms of you know favoring qualities that you see in yourself and others around you and you know uh not favoring uh and judging you know people that that don't have that same quality um in terms of you know social in-group and out-group and feeling safe yeah knowing who to trust and knowing not to trust um but i think in terms of a movie that is giving lines and uh, giving characteristics and, and kind of trying to portray these characters is more of my concern. And yeah, naming a drag race, race wars is also pretty bad. You know, what's one of the things that I learned in, in my pre-research was uh, I looked up Vin Diesel's race. Yeah. Did we you look have. it up? <laughs> I haven't recently, but I know that I did in the past do you know what it says isn't he just white no well here's the thing okay so vin diesel was raised by his his biological mother and uh an african-american identified stepfather uh according to the internet Uh, however his biological father according to his mother is from quote a vast cultural background has many cultures in him. Did he do a 23 and me? So Vin Diesel <laughs> has never said and Vin Diesel according to the what it says is not aware of what the racial background of his father is or is okay. not aware of his father enough. Now again, in the in the time of 23 and me, in the time of all of those things, right? I, he's probably found out. But str- right. it's so strange to just not say yeah and so he exists as this kind of action star who capitalizes on being universally claimable and being uh kind of blameless in the genuine or you know maybe not now but at least at the time not knowing yeah yeah which group yeah that's interesting and 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 it's so it's a very interesting kind of place to put him in and I think it actually makes 
it's a very reflective of the time, right? That he's such a bankable action star because you're you're going against blonde haired, blue eyed, you know, Aryan angel. Yep. Paul Walker. Walker, who is a just is the the pinnacle of white beauty, right? You yep. look at him and he is all of these like, again, not saying it is the, the standard of beauty, but I'm saying it is the standard of white beauty that that culturally we're all raised and you know bottle fed yes. to to believe in. And then Vin Diesel manages to be ambiguous, right? He just manages to be uh, other, but not in a way that's uncomfortably othering, not in a way that is uh, in your face, quote, you know, to quote a lot of white America about like, oh, fine, why do you have to keep talking about your race? It it is interesting to me that Vin Diesel is most likely multiracial, but refuses to actually speak on it, which is to me like the epitome of like, uh, you know, white America's favorite thing about diversity is to have it not spoken about, not made yeah. made a big deal of. Yeah, that's marketable. That's marketable. That's showbiz, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's it's such a strange. It's such a strange thing. The popularity, and yet it makes a lot of sense. It makes, you know, yeah. It makes total sense. Um. You know, I think one of the one of the other things that came to mind about these films is uh, the relationship between um, antisocial personality disorder and adrenaline. Are you familiar mm. with any of this research? Absolutely not. No. So, the, and this is not uh, this is off the top of my head. Remember, rememberies. I just said rememberies. <laughs> I love that. That's off the top thing. of my head. Rememberies from grad school. So one of the interesting things, so uh, one of the things we often hear people talk about are personality disorders. Um, mm-hmm. Usually when people are talking about them, they'll talk about narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. Um, yeah. The third most common discussed would be antisocial personality disorder, which in its most sort of grandiose and big way is what we think of as sociopathy. Mm-hmm. So sociopaths are a piece of... Uh, antisocial personality disorder. So the all of the research that sort of puts together these personality disorders is again super white, super male focused, and so the the characteristics that they determine to um, meet the criteria for antisocial personality disorder is not antisocial in the way we use it colloquially, like introverted, not wanting to go out and be social, mm-hmm. but actually in an antagonistic way. So is going against social norms. Mm-hmm. And so what a lot of the research, and it's super racist the way that they teach this even, uh, at least when I, was, when I started my master's program, the way they teach this is that they'll say things like 50% of people in prison meet the criteria for antisocial personality disorder. So you're essentially saying that these are criminals. What you're also, like what's underneath that is also to name that like, the majority of people in prison are black and brown. Like the majority right. of people, like they're, they're, it's so disproportionately labeled. So people who are willing to steal, willing to fight people, willing to, um, you know, break the law is essentially this anti-social against the societal sort of beliefs, needs, like expectations. And so one of the really interesting things is that they did, um, a study on p- 
people with antisocial personality disorder, possibly a study with sociopath. Again, this is uh, rememberies. Yeah. So where they tested by putting your hand in extremely cold water. And when you do this, it makes your body kind of panic, right? Like it makes yeah. you afraid. Do you have something? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a cold pressure uh, test. So it's like a type of uh, stress simulation. Exactly. So within the stress simulation, uh, a typical mind or a typical personality profile, uh, whatever that means, according to all the white people that invented this, a typical personality profile will have a spike in adrenaline Mm -hmm. when this happens. An antisocial personality profile does not have the spike. So when people are like, oh, this person has ice in their veins, right? This person. So this idea (laughs) is also to say that People who, uh, in these moments that would spike adrenaline, people who, say, seek out and do crimes are less likely to spike adrenaline at the same rate as a typical personality profile. So these people that are doing illegal street racing, that are thrill-seeking, which could also be brought into an antisocial personality profile, may also be needing to seek this adrenaline spike just in hopes of feeling something. Mm. And so just kind of an interesting thing to to consider, because technically, I think based on the nightmarish uh, original definitions of antisocial personality, most everyone in this cast would meet the criteria, except except Georgiana Brewster. Yeah, because she doesn't have enough uh, just like personality to assess. Yeah. But OK, let me ask you something about that, though, because that I don't know if you know anything about this, but. It made me think, you know, when we're talking about uh, assessing incarcerated populations or whatever, what what here is like nature versus nurture, though, in, in terms oh, of, of the course. symptoms that they're they're assessing, right? And that is actually some kind of biologically, uh, you know, predisposed to kind of having this personality disorder versus what is something that is coping or maladaptive coping from trauma or horrible things that have happened to you in childhood, you know? You know, I I think that's a great question. I actually think largely personality disorders are nurture in that in that it is uh, the, the the definition of personality disorders that I like the most is essentially that personality disorders are recurrent uh persistent behavior patterns that cause uh distress, upset or um disruption in a person's life that are resistant to change. Gotcha. So a personality disorder is essentially saying like, hey, you keep do you keep breaking the rules to the extent where you've now been told you've had consequences and it still doesn't change. Right. Uh, and so it's, I actually see most personality disorders as a reaction to try to make sense of the world and try to... Uh, try to cope with whatever's going on. One of my favorite ways that um, I heard, because uh, uh, f- famously uh, this research was done largely and it looked at like convicted criminals. But right. if you also look at um, highly successful lawyers, CEOs, all of those yeah. things, a lot of those people meet the criteria for antisocial personality disorder. In fact, I would argue that almost every billionaire who is that focused on making money which again, mm-hmm. it's hard to be a billionaire without being solely focused on making money. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard to be a billionaire without meeting most of the criteria for antisocial personality disorder because 
guess what? If you're getting multi, multi-million dollar bonuses, which is how you accrue billions of dollars, uh, you're also choosing not to give that those millions of dollars across, you know, so many people within your company. There, you are yeah. shortchanging others to, to, you know, more broadly reward yourself. And yep. so a lot of this stuff is really um, rewarded in some ways that we wouldn't necessarily label. But I mean, I think like we look at, presidents, we look at, you know, different people. And a lot of these, uh, I I mean, trying to be the president of the United States without having a certain degree of narcissistic personality would be almost impossible, right? Because Mm -hmm. you have to believe that you are the best person for the job to tell everybody in, I don't know why they say the free world. I find that to be a really gross Western phrase, but everybody in the United States, you want to be the most powerful person there. So seeking power is in and of itself an antisocial attitude and is a narcissistic action. Yeah. I think these films, in the way that we sort of open this, talking about what is, you know, this is so individualistic, it's so American, we are a thrill-seeking nation. So in that sense, I think it's reflecting a lot of our broad cultural values. Yeah, and I I will leave you with this. I have another quote from the magazine article by Ken Lee. Uh, uh, it's about power. It's about the control of power. <laughs> That's how he talks about this drag race culture. I mean, it is. It's, it is. Well, and you mentioned in our in our brief chat before this, this like alpha male. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of dynamic, which I think is uh, the kind of people that love this movie are the kind of people that also describe themselves as alpha males. Definitely. <laughs> and just from a social dominance like hierarchy, there are not that many alpha males. <laughs> There are not that many alpha males. Also, I just think, you know, an alpha is not a uh, combative, domineering. I mean, uh, the you know, we thought we talked a couple weeks ago in the notebook about authoritarian versus authoritative. Yeah. And an alpha, you know, if you look at the actual alphas in wolves, an alpha, the primary directive is to protect everyone within this, not to control everyone within their, their pack. Yep. And so it's a very interesting kind of thing to see that this, I, I think Vin Diesel in that wolfy sense actually does meet this sort of like alpha um, idea. Yeah. But I think it's been taken out of context. It's and definitely been co-opted. In it's been co-opted. In terms of like supporting toxic masculinity and yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah, well, and the original paper that described the like alpha, that described wolf um, mm-hmm. culture has been pack largely refuted. Yeah. Who was it? Uh, no, I'm saying it was like about pack leadership. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, dominance. Yeah, and this has been largely refuted for those listening. Um, that uh, alpha male thing where it described like alphas and betas uh, was research conducted on wolves from different packs who were put together in captivity. And in that mm-hmm. sense, these wolves from different packs, uh, th- the most violent and most domineering wolves became the alpha in that instance. Mm-hmm. But that is, again, in captivity, where uh, you know a, a wolf to go off and be loan or to join another pack or to be, you know, to start its own pack, et cetera, was not an option. Yeah. So it I mean, is... talk about social, social in-group, out-group. Right, <laughs> talk all... about prison studies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's literally... Yeah, so this film, I think, um, does, in some ways, reflects the real 
the more realistic animal behaviorism, but also I think the broader context and the ways that it's received is to is to sit with that kind of gross, toxic masculine domineering. For sure. Yeah. We need to start calling men shrill. <laughs> I said domineering and even in saying it, there's such a context that like that's a word that people put on women. Right. Right. And I was into it. Uh I think I'm going to start calling men shrill. I love that. Let's do it. Let's normalize shrill. And memories. Memories, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we did it. We did it. We got through this movie. We got through I did this not movie. think I could. <laughs> and listen, this is a testament to show you know a lot in your brain. I guess. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the great news is you get to pick the next movie. And y'all, if it's Too Fast, Too Furious, (laughs) (laughs) get ready. Get ready. It it will not be, spoiler alert. No, it'll be (laughs) even faster and even furiouser. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I have been Dr. J.D. Parton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Whitkin. And this has been Real Psych. Follow us on at Real Psych on Instagram. Text us on there with any of your opinions, thoughts, reflections. Give us positive reviews, please. Five stars. (laughs) Five stars. Subscribe. And again, tell your friends. We are a mini widow baby. And we need uh, your support. So please just tell your friends. Send them your favorite episode. Uh, And we'll see you next week. Another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.